Well, good morning, everyone. All right, it's good to hear you. Um, I really probably should start off by saying Happy New Year. This is really the new year for, yes, the church, but for most of us that have children, and we kind of draw summer to a close, and I think some of us, most of us, all of us are feeling the effect of fall and the swarm of activity known as school sports, school activities, weekend activities, trying to get apple picking in somewhere before the snow starts falling and Thanksgiving and all of that. So, we've got a decent amount of time this morning. We're not pushed by any stretch, so let's just all take one big breath in and out. We are going to begin a new series this morning. We are going to spend most of the year traveling through the book of Mark. And this is a pretty big undertaking for our church. I don't believe, Pastor, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe we've attacked a gospel verse by verse or chapter by chapter, at least from up here. I know in Sunday school classes we've, we've done that. But that's what we're going to do for the better part of this coming year. And believe it or not, I've actually heard some complaints about being bogged down in a book for too long. And, and honestly, I don't understand those complaints at all. Because if this is really the word of God, does it matter if I'm here every Sunday reading from a different chapter, a different text? Or if I'm just in the one that just, that just came next? If I incremented up from nine after leaving eight? So... I want to start off with a simple outline for us. Pastor Matt loves ending his sermons, his teaching times, with what's his last section. So what? We all know it, right? And, we, and if you're a youth pastor here, you get up and you make fun of him for, for having that so what time and all that stuff. My, my outline is going to be so basic and so simple, I think you'll actually understand it and, and um, uh, remember it. But I want to start off with so why? I promise, for those of you that are always looking ahead, you're already looking at, uh, you know, the, the graduation for, for the class of 2020 and all of that stuff because the school year is just beginning. This, we, will, we will arrive at so what? I promise we will arrive there. It'll be our resting place. But we're going to start off with so why? And really the question for us, because we have a little bit more time today, and you're saying, okay, Chad, what's going on? Normally, you're going for 40, 50 minutes, and we're looking at our watches 10 minutes into it. We're, going to we're only going to cover three verses this morning. Please, 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 don't, 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 don't crush me up here. We're only going to cover three verses because I want to, I want to establish a firm foundation and, and a great introduction um, to the book of Mark. But I want to start off with, so Why? Why do we do what we do from up here? For those of you that were not on vacation last week, but were here, Simon gave us a wonderful wrap-up to our summer series, which was entitled, Nope, That's Not in the Bible. It was, it was fantastic, wasn't it? And for those of us that were sitting and I talked to Simon afterwards that, that afternoon, and I said, it's so appropriate inside the church for me now not being the young guy anymore, not quite to the old, old, old guy status. One day, huh, one day I hope to get there. No, no, I've got plans for when I get the old, old guy status. But it's so appropriate inside the church 
to hear younger men handle the word appropriately. But it's also phenomenal to still have the old, old guys up, a front, up in front of us, still leading the way, leading that charge probably in a different way than when they're in their 30s and 20s. But to sit in the middle and to be surrounded by men, and I'll throw in women too, that desire to hear God's word, desire to be transformed by God's word. And folks, I sat there last week and I was praising the Lord because of the way that he is moving forward in and through and amongst us because we have a job to do here in the Capital District in 2019 and 2020. And it was just so appropriate. So why do we do what we do? Well, we desire here for everybody to what? We, it, it's, it's our slogan, it's our banner, to know and follow Jesus. And then that follows that if we want people to know Jesus, we want to know who he is, what he is, what he said, what he did, then we're going to look back into the word as the revealed word of God where Jesus is the subject of the entire library. All 66 books point to Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the greatest adventure that you and I can, can ever um, uh, jump on board with, is to look for Jesus on every page of the Word. So, why do we do what we do? Because we desire to know and follow Jesus. We desire you to know and follow Jesus. So we're going to teach up here God's word. We're going to try to go verse by verse. We'll probably go chapter by chapter just uh, for, for some timing issues. And, and um, you know how Pastor Matt is a sucker for Advent and everything Christmas. We usually break around the Advent season for that, um, which, which gives a really nice uh, um, uh, identity to our, to our year as well. But... Getting back to God's word, Simon reminded us last week, he was in Psalm 119 quite a bit because there David just extols the Lord and his word and his precepts. And let's just, let me just read for you a few verses. He says in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I might keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my ear to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Not only, if you were paying attention to Simon's teaching last week, not only is God's word protection a defense, not only is it a bulwark, a fortress to run into, but did you hear what he said in there? They give me life. It is the word that gives life. And Paul said it this way, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we desire for each of you to, to create, uh, to develop a hunger for God. And we understand that this will come by the means of his word. 
So therefore, we desire for you to hunger for God's word, to desire his word, to meditate upon it, to chew upon it, to really digest it. Again, Jesus is the grand subject of of this library of books we hold in our hands. But I've learned, what I've learned in my years is that desire for God's word actually begins with God's word. The more I read it, the more you read it. The more I meditate upon it, the more you meditate upon it. The more we study it, the more we seek to be changed by it, the more we will devour it, the more we will desire it. So, so again, simple, starting off, brand new year. Why do we do what we do? We do it to know and follow Jesus and to see him on every page. Then, think about this. If we're going book by book or chapter by chapter through books of the Bible, then at a minimum, the preacher up here is bound by what is said previously and what is coming in the next chapter then as a congregation, we, we already have our reading plan, don't we? We already know what the text is going to be for the next week. So this is where we sit up here and we encourage us, our family, to read ahead, to actually study ahead. Take notes. Why? Because I got to believe that the Lord is going to show something specific to you and it probably will be analogous to what the pastor, the preacher is going to deliver, but it's going to be so much more personal when the Lord shows you in your situation before work, before school, before the big game, before that test, before that deadline. It's going to be so much more real when you're reading the word and he's communicating to you and you back to him than just coming in on Sunday mornings. Folks, folks, we understand that the world is dark. We under, and we, we proclaim that, that, that his word is light. It's a light unto our path. Again, going back to Psalm 19, 119. Are we utilizing the light? Are we showing the light? Are we a channel for that light in this dark world? We can only know him through his word. We can only know him through his word. So, that was the, so why do we do? Point number two, we're going to move on quickly here this morning. Keeping with the so what, the so why, I, 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 the middle section here is so when. And we're, we're really going to use this part to develop the, the background and historicity of the book of Mark. So, let's open up in prayer. Because this is going to be our intro to our our rest of the year. I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for the changing of the seasons. Although we do mourn the loss of the warm temperatures and the sunlight. And eventually the leaves. But we sit back and we praise you. Our creator, our designer. For showing us who you are in your creation. For you allow the the leaves to turn colors up here. Not just turn brown and die and fall to the ground. But Lord, you give us that beauty. Father, we sit here this morning desiring to hear from you. Desiring to know you better as a family. 
Lord, some are hurting. Some are questioning. Some are ecstatic, joyful, and happy. Oh, and I praise you for my brothers and sisters. I praise you that you brought us together here. Lord, we ask today that you would open your word to us this year, that we would seek you, that we would seek you through your word. Lord Jesus, that you would build us jointly fit together, that you would establish us, that you would establish the in-home life groups, that you would establish the friendships, the brothers and sisters connections that only you can. And so, Lord, we offer up to you not only just the first few verses of Mark, but the entire book. We offer you ourselves. Please come, Lord Jesus. Please teach us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, please turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. And let's, let's read our entire text for this morning. I think we can do it all in one, in one shot. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, we need to understand, none of the gospels have a signature section. No one, there's not one gospel that says, I wrote this, and then signed his name here. All right? However, it is from the earliest church traditions was well understood and unanimous that John Mark is the one that actually wrote this. John Mark was not an official disciple or apostle, but it was believed and said that he wrote what Peter instructed him to or what Peter preached upon. In essence, Mark was Peter's scribe and he was uh, Peter's interpreter hearing and recording Peter's testimony and interactions with Jesus Christ. Papias, who was uh, the bishop of Hierapolis, uh, an early church father um, in the second century, uh, he testified that Mark wrote accurately and endeavored to make no false statements, that he wrote fully in setting down all he remembered, but that he did not write in entirely chronological order. Okay? So what we have here is not necessarily a biography, but we're going to see Mark is going to use action words. It's going to move quickly, and it's going to be because of who he was writing to. Mark, just in his own personal life, he was the son of a wealthy woman named Mary, who we learn about in Acts chapter 12. She, she was wealthy enough to have a large enough house that the church was meeting at her, at her place, when Peter was busted out of prison by the angel. Do you remember he goes and knocks on the gate and, and the, the, the little servant girl Rhoda comes up and he says, uh, yeah, it's Peter. And they, she runs back in and said, Peter's here. And they're praying for the release of Peter and they said, no, no, honey, that's just his angel you saw out there. And she's like, no, he's, he's really at the gate. It, it, was, it was John Mark's mother's house is where they were meeting. Uh, we find out later in the book of Colossians that Mark is actually the nephew or cousin of Barnabas. And this becomes significant in the life of, of John Mark. It is possible, some, some, uh, in some of the uh, books that I was reading and, and commentaries and such, 
that Mark was a convert of Peter's, and this may have created a, 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 a closeness or a, a friendship here where then um, uh, Mark becomes Peter's uh, scribe. Mark accompanies Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. And, that, and for those that have read through the book of Acts, something happens on that first missionary journey. And Mark abandons the team, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. So then a few years later, Paul and Barnabas are setting out on a second missionary journey, and Mark wants to go. Barnabas wants him to go. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm not taking anybody I can't trust. And an um, argument ensues between Paul and Barnabas. They decide to part ways. Barnabas takes Mark into Cyprus, and uh, uh, Paul takes uh, Silas and goes into, into Asia, and we read the rest of that in, in the book of Mark. I'm sorry, the book of Acts. Um, so the theme I want to touch upon of the book of Mark, we're going to see here that Jesus is presented as the servant of God, as that suffering servant that came to obey all that the Father wanted him to do. We're going to see that Mark is a book of action. He is going to use the words um, immediately. He's going to, uh, if, you, if you have the authorized version or King James version, uh, straightway or therefore or, or, or anon uh, is, is another one that is used. He uses it over 40 times. It's almost like an act, uh, a script for, for a movie or a play. It goes from one scene to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. And Mark, we're going to see, he doesn't really spend too much time on Jesus' sermons. Rather, he's going to spend more time on what Jesus did. And he's actually going to juxtapose those, bring those together real, very well. He's going to show Jesus' actions with his words to show how the two go hand in hand. See, Mark, Mark is writing for Peter. And it is believed that, that Peter wrote this or had, uh, had Mark write this towards the end of his life. And again, church history talks about that Peter died toward the latter end of uh, Caesar Nero's uh, reign. Somewhere around 65 A.D. Peter was in Rome at this time. Mark is writing what he heard Peter preach. Peter's pe preaching to Romans. Romans are Gentiles. So Mark, we just read the first few verses. It's not like the book of Matthew or the book of Luke that has a genealogy up front. Because why? Well... Romans don't care about a Jew Jewish gene genealogy. Gentiles, anybody raise their hand that you get through the book of Numbers or Chronicles and you're like, okay, I'm already 12 chapters in. This is great. I just skipped over all the genealogies and all the names I can't pronounce anyway. Mark doesn't have that, does it? Mark doesn't have that because he's writing to a Roman or to a Gentile audience. There are, other, there are some things there that Mark does define for the reader, such as some Jewish customs. There are some Aramaic words that a Gentile, Romans, wouldn't know, so Mark has to translate them. He actually even uses some Latinisms within, the, within his text. He refers, in chapter 15, to Rufus, whom, who might have been a well-known Roman or, or a Roman citizen. Mark is going to, uh, not going to um, fall back onto the Old Testament prophecies like Matthew does. Matthew, throughout his, uh, throughout his uh, uh, book, says th that, it might be, uh, that it might fulfill Scripture. 
boom, 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 and then he would go into the Old Testament prophecy. The Romans or the Gentiles wouldn't have an understanding of that. Instead, Mark highlights 18 different miracles that Jesus did more than any of the other Gospels. It's, this book is geared, it's crafted directly to the Roman mind, to the Gentile mind. Okay, so we did so why, we did so when, now so what. Mark's theme is given in chapter 10, verse 45, and I'll read it to you. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, I said it before, Mark is not a biography of the life of Jesus, but it's really a topical narrative. Mark does not record many of the Lord's sermons, but his emphasis again is on what Jesus did. He reveals Jesus as God's servant sent to ministering to suffering people and to die for the sins of the world. From the start to finish, Jesus is the subject of the book of Mark. And he is portrayed as a man of action. We learn who Jesus is, not, by, not, not as much uh, as what he's, from what he says as the other Gospels, but from what he does. Verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We throw this term gospel around. Well, it's the gospel. They need the gospel. This is the social gospel, that gospel, this gospel. Gospel, and we ask the kids when we're, we're over next door. We ask your children, what's the gospel mean? They all know. It means good news. Okay, what is, what is the good news? And then they go, um, they start staring at the floor, right? It's, Mark here says it's the beginning of the good news. Please understand, in, in the Roman or Gentile way of thinking, the word used here, it meant this is good news, but it's in the plural. When the gospel is used in the New Testament, it's singular, talking about the good news. What's the difference? The good news is the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. The fact that the Son of God has come to the earth he created to ultimately die on a cross for the restoration of all mankind. Mark here says, this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news, the only good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For Mark, the advent of Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of that good news, as he's going to fall back into in the following verses in 2 and 3, and he's going to quote Isaiah here. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's the fact that he came into this world to die for our sins. Why is that good news? Because man was lost and utterly alienated from God, outside of God stepping in to take the penalty for our sins. It is the good news that our sins can be forgiven that we can belong to the family of God and one day go to live with God in, in heaven. This is an announcement of victory over sin, over death. And he will be the champion. The gospel was Jesus' work and he leaves us here to, to do and proclaim the gospel. A.B. Simpson said this, Christian work is not trying to save the world or reform society. 
but to tell the world that Jesus Christ saved you. Jesus Christ, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, Yehoshua, Joshua in our language today, simply means God saves. Or Yahweh saves. Salvation is in God. So, isn't it neat that Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news. Yahweh saves is here. Yahweh saves is here. The Christ, or Christ. Messiah. Mashiach. The anointed one of God. He was God's hand-picked deliverer, is what he's saying. So, Yahweh saves the hand-picked deliverer is here, and this is good news. It's not just good news. It's the best news. For he is the son of God. What does it mean to be the son of something? It means to be like, right? And in, in, in the Thompson family, that's kind of a death knell. Cole's living that out right now, and Cooper's just learning what it means to be a Thompson. It's got some good characteristics. It's got a lot of bad, Right? It's scary when we, go to, when we go to family functions and Cole is behaving more like my uncle's than I am. I didn't teach him half the stuff and he's just doing it. It's in there. He's a Thompson. He's a son of Chad. I, I, I've joked about this in, in, the, in years past. I, my, my grandfather only had one grandson, me. He couldn't even remember my name. I was just known as Chucky's boy. But how sweet is it to be known as Yahweh's boy, God's boy, Jesus' boy? Because what does that mean? If, if, if we, we joke on it, again, we say that, that I'm Chucky's boy, well, it means I belong to Chucky. I probably look a little bit like Chucky. Chucky's going to be here next week for the next month with us. Chucky's nickname was Scratch. Because he got had a scar on his forehead from his brother throwing rock at him. I'm probably going to look like Chucky. I'm probably going to act like Chucky. I'm probably going to sound like Chucky too. It carries a whole other realm of, of significance. When we look at it, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This means that the Son is coming. And the son is probably going to look like, act like, sound like the father at some point, isn't he? In fact, we're told elsewhere in the New Testament that in him, in Jesus Christ, is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What that means is if you have any question about who God is, what he would say, how he would act, what he would do, we turn and look to Jesus Christ. And we said earlier in the so why section of, of this morning, why do we do what we do? In the book of Psalms, it says, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me. The entire library that we possess is written of Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus look like, act like, sound like? That's what we're going to explore this year in the book of Mark. But that's God's Son coming, the good news, the deliverer. He's the Son of God. And hey, Mark's not the only one affirming this. In the text itself, in the rest of the book, this was confirmed by the Father in chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 9, verse 7. The fact that he was God's Son was affirmed by demons in chapter 3, verse 11, and chapter 5, verse 7. 
Jesus affirms it himself. A Roman centurion affirms it at Jesus' death. This was also confirmed as, a, as his authoritative teaching and sovereign power over disease and, di, and dis, uh, disability. Again, by the demons, the, by the domain of nature, and by his power over death. All of this was convincing proof that the kingdom of God had come near to people through Jesus, both in his words and in his works. Let's go down into verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What we actually have here is a composite of three different verses, prophecies all on the same topic that, are, that were formed together here by John Mark. So, because we've been a little lazy and letting Chad do all the heavy lifting, we're going to let our fingers do some work. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 23, because the first hint is back here. Exodus chapter 23. And as you're turning there, I told you that Mark doesn't quote too many prophecies from the Old Testament. So they must be significant when he does. This is one of those significances. Here he's grounding his work. He's grounding the entire book in the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. So Exodus chapter 3 verse 20, it'll be real quick. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Be careful, pay careful attention to, to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. The first section, though, just the promise Moses gives to the people that one will come in God's name that will bring you to the place. Now, if he'll turn with me to Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 3. So, any excuse ever to get into the book of Malachi, you take it. Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. So, if you're in Mark, just go over beyond Matthew and you'll get to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you see, um, uh, in him uh, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, from there, go back to the left a little bit more to Isaiah chapter 40. Mark has compressed these three verses into the two that we read in verses 2 and 3. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I'll let you turn there so you can see it in your own Bible. Folks, if you don't have a Bible, please take the one in front of you. Use it. Uh, we're, trying, we're trying to wean our children off of apps and things like that. There's just something about taking it slow and turning the pages or writing it on the pages to not being alerted to uh, some, some deal that popped up in the area. Um, yeah. please, please use, please use the, word, the, the Bible in front of you if you don't have one and take it home with you. It's, it's yours. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. 
A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I've got to read on, it's too good. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Back to Mark. Mark chapter 1 verse 2. As it is written in the, in the Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Mark just cuts right to the chase. Notice he doesn't throw out Malachi, nor does he throw out um, uh, Moses' prophecy there uh, um, in the book of Exodus. Again, writing to a Gentile mind who might not even understand who Malachi is, he's, he's not going to waste time. He's just going to attribute all of that to Isaiah, who is, who is considered the, um, uh, the great prophet. He collapses it down and says, this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the fulfillment of that. This is the good news. And so, what is a messenger? Back in, in olden days, before the king would arrive, he would send his messengers out. They would go and herald. They would call all the people. They didn't have, you know, text. They didn't have, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, robocalling and things like that. They didn't, they didn't have fax machines, any, anything to, to, to get the message out. So they would just have to go out and literally with trumpets and proclaim in a loud voice, come, the king is coming, prepare it, make it all look good. It's like when the president arrives in the town, right? Uh, anybody that uh, has a military background, what happens if the commander-in-chief is going to come and visit? Oh, everything is meticulously uh, uh, immaculate, perfect. When the boss comes in, when the CEO comes to look at what you're doing at work, Right? When the teacher is going to review your binder, you make it look good, you make it look great. That's the messenger that he's proclaiming, and it's going to be John the Baptist. And next week, we're going to get into, into more of who he is. But proclaiming that, that, the, uh, that Messiah was coming, he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Folks, Mark's message is really nothing new, is it? It's grounded in the Old Testament. Some of us have fallen asleep and thought that, hmm, if I really want to know who Jesus is, I'm going to be getting in the book of Matthew, and I'll read through to the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ is not limited to the New Testament. Mark grounds his book in Old Testament prophecy. He doesn't hit it hard. He doesn't hit it long. But what this shows us is that Jesus was not an afterthought. Jesus, as Pastor Matt likes to say, wasn't plan B that he, that he sat up there in heaven going, oh my gosh, Adam, I didn't see this one coming. What do I do now? No, 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 no. We have the earliest prophecies back then in the garden of the deliverer coming. Mark's message is nothing new. The last, second part I want to say, look at or just talk about right now, do we understand the gravity of the fact that God came to us? Have you really evaluated your life and admitted to yourself that you can't, that you aren't good enough in whatever it is you're trying to do.
What do you mean by that, Chad? Well, the last point in, in, that I have for us this morning is that Jesus Christ coming is only good news if we understand the big picture. If we align it with reality. We look around the world today and, and not even turning on headline news. We can understand that just something's not right. At a minimum, just something isn't right. And that if there is a God, why would it be like this? Going back to the beginning, we understand that God didn't create this to be like this. That it was created perfect, whole, complete, at peace with itself even. He put man in the middle of it. He gave him work to do. He gave man one rule to follow. And man willingly broke that rule. Willingly, knowingly broke that rule. We, we learned that, that Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. And when Adam broke that rule, you've got to understand, Adam was in our place. He was our federal head. He was the one that where Adam went, we all followed. Adam broke that rule, and when that rule was broken, sin and death entered into God's perfect creation, and it was torn apart. And death has reigned from Adam until now, until verse 1, until the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, when Adam sinned, when he broke that rule, we were separated. That fellowship that Adam had in the garden is no longer uh, possible. We are not capable of having that relationship any longer because God cannot dwell with sin. And that if we attempted to dwell with God, we would just be obliterated. So there was a chasm fixed. There, there was a separation. And man from that time forward, has been trying to jump that chasm to get back to that relationship with God, but he can't. We can't. We are broken from the beginning. Students, I, I've talked about it a number of times, and you've heard it. It's like walking into a test, and you already have negative, negative points on the exam. And the teacher doesn't like you, so you don't get any bonus points. You, don't, you can't win. Man can't jump that gulf so God became man. This is what sets this book and this religion apart from all others. That God became man to step into his own creation to pay a death penalty for those who would believe in his name. And to those who would believe in his name, he gives the power to be called the children of God. It's only good news if we understand the big picture. So the rest of the book is going to show us who God is by what Jesus does and what he says. I want us to see that this is nothing new. That this wasn't plan B that God said, all right, all right, so I guess we'll just send Jesus down. It was the plan from the beginning. For God so loved the world that he, the Father, gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. God came to us, and again, the gospel is only good news when appropriately contrasted with the state of reality in which we find ourselves. Again, folks, I'm not arrogant, I'm not prideful here, but you're not good enough. I am not good enough. I've tried. I've tried to be the good kid, the good son, the good employee, the good teammate, whatever, whatever label it is. I'm not good enough. It's too big. It's too much. The debt is too big. I could never pay it off. But Jesus Christ stepped into the world, and that's good news because he is the Son of God. He looks like God, acts like God, sounds like God. He proclaimed everything that God wanted him to do. And then on the cross, he, pro he proclaimed, it's done. It's completed. I did all the work you sent me to do. Folks, we are, we're, we're to be a family of brothers and sisters seeking the Lord together. I encourage you and I encourage us to dive into the book of Mark this year. We're going to take it slow, perhaps paragraph by paragraph at times, because it's meaty, because it's beneficial for us, to us. And you know what? We need to build each other up, to bear each other's burdens, to praise the Lord together to sing his praises in the good times and to cry together in the bad. Folks, very simple introduction this morning. We didn't go far. I promised you we wouldn't. But I also promised I wouldn't go long as well. Let's pray and let's seek the Lord's face this year, this new year. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for showing us what you desire, what your standards are, what you require of us. And Lord, I pray that you would correct us through your word. I pray that you would transform us through your word. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would draw near us through your word. Lord, that as we as a church are growing, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are as we read, study, meditate, and digest your word. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you that you've provided us here for now. And Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in us. It's amazing that you've chosen us. Please, Lord, please use this church this year. Please use the book of Mark. In Jesus' name we pray.